0: You're listening to The Luxury Item, the podcast on the business of luxury and the people and companies that are shaping the future of the luxury industry. Here's your host, Scott Kerr. Secondhand luxury clothing, once relegated to vintage boutiques, is now top of mind for the industry as resale platforms amass reach and revenue. The $25 to $30 billion resale economy is booming. Buoyed by a series of acquisitions and IPOs, McKinsey & Company estimates the resale market will have 10 to 15% annual growth in the next decade. Offline outlets account for the majority of secondhand sales, but specialized digital resale platforms and third-party marketplaces like The Real Real, Rebag, and Fashion File hold a 25 to 30% market share and are driving much of the sector's growth. My guest today on The Luxury Item is Sarah Davis, founder and president of Fashion File, Launched in 1999... File was the very first ultra-luxury re-commerce brand of its kind. More than 20 years later, the company has become the country's largest resale platform for buying and selling ultra-luxury pre-owned accessories, including Chanel, Hermes, Gucci, and Louis Vuitton. From what began as a startup operation in Sarah Davis's house, grew into a 30,000-square-foot headquarters in Carlsbad, California, and brick-and-mortar showrooms across the country. In 2019, global luxury retailer Neiman Marcus Group took a minority stake in Fashionphile, Making the first major luxury retailer to expand into the pre owned market. Welcome to the luxury item, Sarah.
1: Hey, I'm so excited to be here.
0: So happy you could join me. So, Sarah, where you are today is very impressive. You went from running an eBay store to leading the multi billion dollar luxury resale market. So, let's begin with your story and your vision for starting Fashion File. So, for my listeners who have never heard about it, could you briefly Say what fashion file is and how did you form the germ of the idea to launch it?
1: Yes, we are a managed marketplace for ultra luxury accessories. So that means that we buy and sell from the customer um, ultra luxury branded handbags, shoes, watches, fine jewelry, and fashion jewelry, scarves, anything. If you walk into a, your favorite handbag boutique, the types of products you'd see in there, but from the ultra luxury brands. And it's resale. So it's all used. I am one of those people that I got into resale, you know, the old fashioned way, just that I'm the old was the oldest of six. I am the oldest of six children. Um, You know, we had no money. And so basically, I had jobs from, you know, the time I was babysitting before I can have a job and always had little side hustles making money here or there. But I had to buy all my own clothes. And I really liked fashion and I liked nice things. And I found, you know, when I was young that I could buy nicer things than I could afford if I bought them used where I could actually afford them. Um, and so I was always shopping in, you know, thrift stores and consignment stores. And so when I learned about eBay back in those early days, in the late nineties, my mind was blown. Cause I, you know, it was just really the, the idea that you had, I loved my neighborhood stores, like resale shops, like I said, but the idea that I could shop like resale shops from around the country and the world on eBay, it was, you know, really fun. And at that time there was nobody else. It was eBay. There were no other websites or no other resale shops online. Um, so you had your local mom and pop consignment shop, or there was eBay, um, in the late nineties. And so, you know, I got addicted very early and that's kind of how I started. I started selling my own things. I was in law school at the time. And, um, you know, it was really fun for me to, to work on creating my brand. And I had never really thought of myself as a business person. And so I just was having fun, like selling my things and buying things online and on eBay. Um, This is those very, very early days though. So it was a totally different experience than what you see today, again, with the competitors and the, the landscape. Yeah.
0: So when did you break away from the eBay ties
1: well we, so we we launched the website in 2007 um, so it's interesting because um, in 2010 entrepreneur magazine called fashion file one of the smartest most innovative hands down brilliant companies on their radar and then we joked that we like then slid under the radar for the next like 10 years <laughs> um you know but we we really weren't meaning we were still we were we've been growing 50% a year every year year over year and have always been profitable um, and, you know, from those early, I think one of the, there's a lot of things I learned. I always joke that eBay was like my incubator. I didn't go to Y Combinator. I didn't, go, don't have an MBA from Stanford or Harvard, like a lot of people who start these, you know, sexy direct to consumer brands out there, mm-hmm. um, you know, but I joke that eBay was kind of our launch pad. There was a lot of tools there that I used to be able to learn how to, to start a business. And, you some of the things that we carry through today were, you know, kind of seeds of that time. Like I, in those times, you know, I really wanted people, if you bought something, if you bought a Chanel bag for me on eBay, I didn't want you to ever tell anyone you bought it on eBay. I wanted to make sure the packaging was so fun and cool and, and that, it, that, it, uh, that it pointed back to Fashion File so that if you bought something from us and somebody said, hey, where'd you get that? You'd say, I bought it from Fashion File, even though it was on eBay. Um, That was like the goal because, you know, you ask a friend and you say, where'd you get them? They say eBay, but there's some scrappy little seller told you that. Um, But those kind of like real attention to the branding details and all that have really helped us. I, you know, we were bootstrapped for 20 years. We hadn't raised any investment money um, until 2019. So, you know, we had a lot of competitors in the early, you know, 2013, 14, 15, a lot of, you know, most of the competitors kind of entered the space at that point. And we were able to continue to grow in the face of hundreds of millions of dollars of investment. I think because of that attention to number one, the selling customer, we've always like really tried to take care of her um, and then care about our branding on the other side, um, You know, and really help people to remember the purchase when they did make it.
0: So with prices rising on luxury goods, the appetite for pre-owned is rising. And one of the key barriers to buying pre-owned luxury products is the concern over counterfeit goods and some of your competitors' authentication claims have been called into question by customers who claim they received counterfeit goods actual lawsuits have been filed so can you tell us more about fashion files authentication process and how does the company prevent counterfeiting
1: yeah I, I can so i mean and obviously we sell like 70 brands you know 71 brands i believe now um and so we have we we really just take a a great deal of care before we introduce a new brand it took us like almost a year to add Telfar and off wide i was so excited to add those brands they are very popular and our customers really wanted it but we we you know take the time to be able to really um, develop authentication process and um training and things on on um you know from our side before we introduce a brand so it took us a very great deal of time we have people all the time will say Hey, I've got this amazing bag. I bought it for thirty-two hundred dollars or whatever. Can you sell this for us? But if it's not a brand that we have built authentication around, then we don't accept it. So, this is something again. that's it's really the number one challenge. We have our you know we have a bunch of a handful of values that we adhere to at File. and our number one value is we believe in authenticity. That's that's what um you know, our value. And there's a lot of me- meaning we put into that um you know to that that value, but primarily when we look at the product that we're selling people trust us you know and so we just don't take that lightly um, and so we've developed at fashion file we call fashion file university and it's a series of not only do we have a team that's built on you know that's constantly learning and that is you know documenting changes over time and you know nuances in as as a as a style changes their construction or um, ads RFID or, you know, all these things, they document all this and also just disperses it amongst our authentication team. But we're using obviously technology and tools that we've built and some tools that are just out of the box that are super helpful, um, as part of our process, things like, um, you know, Hermes, um, hardware looks like it's a silver heart. People say, Oh, is it silver or gold? But it's not really silver. It's palladium and palladium is a precious metal. And so we bought a metal alloy detector and we, you know, you can check it's either palladium or it's not. And a counterfeiter selling an, an expensive counterfeit um, Birkin or Kelly is using a, a, a hardware that looks very close to, it looks, looks like a, a silver tone metal, but it's not using the precious metal palladium as part of their plating. So that's something that's helpful for us as we're, and again, that's an outside of the box tool we get from the GIA or whatever. Um, but the crazy thing in our world is that um, you know, while it's, we can always add new technology and work on te- technology we're developing, what we find that's so fascinating with is with the because the brands are just literally introducing new styles and textiles and hardware every season, and so when you look at like, you know, there's some authentication, there's some folks in resale who use tool technology tools and kind of AI and, you know, as to develop tools around authentication, but a tool requires, um, you know, a certain amount of volume of data to kind of train that tool. And so if you get a new product that comes out this season and we get it next season, there's no data, you don't have a single data point to authenticate that. So, you have to use tools that are beyond just that. And sometimes for us it's like, okay, Chanel just released a new type of caviar. It's a micro caviar. We've never seen this before. And so we'll just go buy a a micro caviar bag and we'll like study the heck out of it. And we'll take all the photos and we'll weigh it. And we'll look at all the type of, you know, features and about this particular type of textile leather. And then we'll just sell it on our website and we're done, you know, and get that learning. but it's something that we just you have to prioritize in a business like ours because again, like I said, customers come to us. Part of when our brand that we've spent the past 20-something years to develop is people trust us that we're going to get that right. And so we don't, you know, we do all that we can to make sure that we're not going to violate that trust.
0: And there are other resellers of luxury fashion and then accessories playing in the field, although you predate many of them, you know, like the real real rebag yeah. and depop. How does fashion file uniquely distinguish itself
1: yeah I mean it's fascinating because again like all of the brands you just mentioned we predate them by like t- 13 plus years you know like we were doing right. it so long and honestly one of the things that you find is we, we you know I I joked that we're slow and steady and the goal is really to just in our world you can't you can you really can grow too fast meaning, For us, like we, you, we can't speed up that process like that. You could, we could have accepted off white faster than we did, you know, but you're going to make mistakes that we are not willing to compromise on. And so, and also in our world, we're only dealing with an ultra luxury product. It's not a product for everyone. Um, in my real world, my like family cousins, aunts, uncles, my real friends that are not from the business, I don't have, you know, our average selling our ASP average selling price is like $1,700, you know, and that's, that's rolling. in the fact that we sell a lot of like, you know, few hundred dollar Dior tribal earrings or Hermes scarves, um, kind of bringing down that a- overall ASP. But um, so it's, we're not a, we're not a seller who sells product for every person. And so, you know, we differentiate ourselves, um, you know, what we've always done from the very beginning is we've recognized that in a company like ours, Um, you know, the secret is really being good to the seller and we call her the golden goose. And we just, how do you fatten the golden goose? You pay her as, you know, as fat, we pay her fast and fair. That's our kind of policies, pay Mm -hmm. her fast and fair. um, And then she's going to lay these beautiful golden eggs, you know, for us of more product as you pay her more. And so, you know, um, we found that, that that's the way the old, that, you know, the type, our type of of the way that we sell, um, isn't for everyone. Like people say to me all the time, man, you know, I could, I can make more if I sell it myself on eBay, you know, or Poshmark. And I'm like, if you have the stomach for that, you really should, cause you probably can. And it's not right. actually some sites like Poshmark and, you know, some of these sites that where the fees are 20 plus percent, you know, maybe you can't actually, the fees are so high. Um, you do all the work and it's still fairly high fees, but, um, most of our customers we found over time, they're just like, just give me the money and let me move on with my life. You know, as long as it's a fair offer, Um, you know, we, we t- tested in the very beginning, we were ran on consignment, you know, in those early days. Um, And then people would say, well, how much would, you know, we just, basically, you know, we were talking, my, my business partner, um, you know, was my brother-in-law. He was, I brought him in, in 2006 and he was starting UCLA business school. I had a little, um, you know, imposter syndrome probably about like the fact that I didn't have that kind of those like key business, um, you know, that business knowledge and expertise and experience. And I was like, oh man, he's starting UCLA. He'll make a lot of (laughs) he'll st- make a lot of, you know, like networking connections. And, you know, if we ever do need fundraising, that'd be really helpful. And so, um, you know, brought him on in those early days. And we really just, what was interesting is because we did all the jobs ourselves, like literally just talking to the customer ourselves, making offers and selling and all this, you know, people, we found that people were like, well, just how much do we give it to me, ne- for me, you know, for me right now. And, and I think about myself and you, I mean, I'm guaranteed that you've got things in your house right now. For me, I've got like a drawer with electronics that have value. You're (laughs) like, this is too valuable. It's not something you can drop off at, you know, (laughs) Goodwill just can't get the muster, the energy to put it on eBay, which is hilarious since that's how I got my start. But like, you know, and so what we find is that in our category, people's like, okay, so say you have a Rolex that you want to sell. And you're like, You know, you if you're like, you know, I'm just gonna sell this for myself on eBay, it's like, do I know the exact model of this Rolex? Am I gonna list it in a way that I'm you know, I'm describing the features and the way that's gonna get the top dollar on it? And then you're maybe a little nervous, like, when I ship this item, is someone gonna claim they didn't get it? Is someone gonna bait and switch a counterfeit and try to return it? Is someone gonna use a stolen credit card? There's so many issues, and we just take all that and just make it super easy you could just bring that, you know, Rolex to us physically. 85% of our product is sent to us through our app or our website, so you'll just get a quote online. If you like it, then we're just going to set we'll wire you the money or we'll um, you know, send you a check or whatever you want. Um and people just it's like, you know, it just takes a lot of the stress and the headache because there's a lot of things that you that people don't care about. Like, I'm actually a huge fan of resale across the board. I love all of our competitors, like I use all of the sites and I'm not using them to test like how competitors are shipping or how fast they're, no, I'm doing it because I love it. I love getting a deal. I love finding like cool little finds here or there. Um, and so I love all the sites, but like I send a ton of stuff to Thread up and I don't care how much they give me for this stuff because it's stuff that I probably would have donated anyway. And they're gonna be a dollar 50 for a Madewell top and I'm fine with it, I don't care but the th- when you're selling the types of things that we're selling, our customers are educated. They care. They're thinking about these products like investments. They bought that Chanel bag knowing that resale was super hot on it. And by the way, they've, they've paid attention and have read, even in the Wall Street Journal, it's not even just Vogue reporting on this stuff right now, saying, hey, Chanel's raised their prices four times in the last year. They know all that. They're expecting a res- you know a reasonable offer for this item, and they kind of have looked around and know what they're getting. And so, you know, because we're a buyout model, we have to nail that price because this is what the, the think about that golden goose. She wants to be paid and fast and fair, but one one thing that really feels good for her is that if we if we give you an offer for something, we pay you for it. And then we end up being wrong on the offer and we have to discount that thing, you know, to move it. We have it on the site for 60 days, whatever. And we have to discount it over time. You've already been paid. You feel fantastic. And that's something that, that actually doesn't feel good on consignment sites. I use, like I said, I, for any. I don't, you know we don't sell clothes. So I sell my clothes on consignment sites. And what feels really bad is when something takes a long time and it's discounting 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70%. And that's all coming out of my pocket. And then you're left and you're like, how did this happen that I sold that you fill in the blank Gucci skirt for, and I got $35 for it. That's crazy. You know? Um, But at File, we have to nail that price because we pay you. And so you feel really good and you're going to come back. You're going to tell your friends, oh, you're going to get paid fast and fair at File. They're not going to, discount you over time. And what doesn't feel good is that model where, you know, mistakes are made or things aren't moving and, and it comes out of your pocket.
0: So what do you think the driving factors are behind the seismic growth Of the secondhand luxury goods market, is it the sustainability story? Is it people looking to get their hands on hard-to-find items, or just the desire for off-price luxury? What What do you think is driving it? Or maybe it's all of them. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I think you just described like the perfect storm. Really, you just described it honestly. You know, I think one thing that kind of really, um, really was a tailwind is during twenty twenty when you know, when everybody was kind of just like sitting in their apartments and their houses and, and and there, nobody was traveling and nobody was, you know, going to concerts or parties or, and so, and people had money, discretionary money to spend and people were shopping. We found, I was shocked when 2020 happened. I thought people were going to be clutching their pearls and like afraid to spend a dollar because who knows what's happening in this world. But no, I, I was so surprised with how just the money was people were just spending money and on odd stuff that let you, you know, why are you buying stilettos in like May of 2020? Like you're not going anywhere and they were still selling, you know? And so, um, and so I think that people, it just, just the awareness, you know, and kind of so many, like you mentioned, we've got some really, they really are friends in, in resale in that all of the brands you've mentioned, like we talk to those people. And I think it's something kind of special in our space. Like, I talk to you know every StockX, Reverb, ThreadUp, you know, real, real, like all those brands. We know all the you know we kind of talk about what we're experiencing and all that. And the the total addressable market is so massive. I think there's space for a lot of a lot of successful players in that game. But all of those things coming together, and the idea that people, that young people, it's not just lip service. They're like their desire to do to you know to be really conscientious in the way they're spending their money that they're that they want to they want to make investments you know into you know circular fashion and and sustainable fashion but sometimes you know purchasing the sustainable or the circular or the more eco-friendly item is more expensive and the product is worse (laughs) like i don't know if you've experienced that but sometimes like if you want to buy like the the you know earth-friendly deodorant, it's like $12 and it it doesn't work as well as (laughs) potentially, you know? And what's so cool in our world is that potentially as you're trying to do what's right for the planet, I mean, we literally sell, if you're, you know, we sell brand, every brand, and I'm talking Hermes, Chanel, Gucci, Louis Vuitton, you can buy those, you know, a handbag of those brands for less than the price of a coach bag. If you're willing to buy a, a, you know, a vintage bag, you know, we've got less than $500. Um, And by the way, that, that once you're buying at that price point, it's not going, it's not, that's not going down. You can wear that bag for a couple of years and sell it for more than you bought it for. So um, when you've got, you know, I, so I think you've got these young people that are thinking, I really want to make this, you know, I'm, I really want to be thoughtful about the way I'm spending my money but I also want to deal. I mean, this is like, hello, this is, this is we're your people, you know, if that's what you're doing. Um, and then secondarily, you know, I feel like when you look at, um, just all of the money that, like you said, with all of these, like now public companies in resale, there's so much awareness and that, that awareness has been a, you know, it's been, it's been something that's risen all of our boats, that, that awareness Definitely as as all of these competitors came into the market from like we talked about mid like 2013 to 15 or so, all of that awareness really brought eyes to fashion file, even though we weren't spending the money. We didn't even have a marketing department until 2019, you know, till the till we did the Neiman Marcus deal in 2019. So um, you know, but as people learn about wow, they're, they're you know, this is something that's happening online. I'm gonna look into it. You Google you know um, Chanel grand shopping tote vintage caviar whatever we're gonna come up you know um, in that search and so that's been really really good for us
0: and you, before you were talking about the pandemic and the ripple effects of the pandemic really did boost the resale market and I read last that last year fashion file pulled down between 450 million and 500 million in gross sales and that's like 107 percent year-over-year growth your biggest year yet congratulations that's amazing. Sure how is 2022 shaping up so far?
1: I mean, honestly, this is not that not 107% growth. I'll put it that way. And it's crazy. Like, and what's so fun or interesting for us, I, I should say not fun. Interesting for us is that we've been doing this for so long. Like there's definitely belts are tightening, you know, and whatever happened in 2021 that nobody's experiencing that this year, quite frankly, in 2021 we were looking around going what is happening right now you know like I said we'd historically grown 50% a year year over year 2020 we still grew but it was more like 25 percent or something as you know there's obviously some crazy rocky moments in that um, earlier that year and really kind of what was what was um, a challenge for us was getting supply in the door as the as things were closed down and all that to be able to to satisfy like I said the actual appetite for spending. But um, so things have definitely. This is not the same world we're experiencing in 2021 at all. What's interesting is first quarter of this year, we're you know after we've done such a crazy year last year, we we beat our estimates in first quarter this year, and we were like, what is going on? Like this is totally nuts, you know that we're still seeing this type of growth. But I'll tell you right now, that has changed. Like. There's definitely something happening, and I don't know. I'm not sure exactly. I think I think things will we'll be able to tell in the next four months to see how holiday goes and all that as well. But um, I'm not sure how much of it is people going. Okay, what is happening in the world? You read all the headlines. You see what's going on. You know, with the market and where people are going. Should I be spending? I don't know. And for fashion file, we actually have like such a range because we sell really accessible price products that like literally it's like a uh what i think is so fun is like a girl in high school who wants to go to fashion school who's saving her money for their part-time job to buy a vintage you know chanel bag um all the way up to you know literally two hundred thousand dollar hermes um you know crocodile birkins and so, um, or $400,000 watches, it's crazy. And so that spectrum, you know, a, ty- a recessionary period, a slowdown, a softness in the market is gonna, fic- it's gonna affect different people differently. And we have kind of a couple different personas in that customer mix. So we're definitely seeing a softness. You know, we're not, we've we've seen a slowdown since what we saw last year, for sure. Um, what's interesting too, is that, what we know about resale just because we were here like i said in 2000 2001 and in this you know 2006 to 2009 that whole period how that rolls through resale one thing we know is that when during times when money is flush and quite frankly when stimulus checks are flowing and when you know people have got money and cryptos to the moon and all of that Um, people are buying really fancy stuff, you know, a hundred percent. And we saw that in, you know, in the early two, in, you know, 2004 to 2007 or so, when people are, when real estate's going crazy and the stock market's going nuts, people bought like, you know, they just would buy things. And, and so what we know is when things soften down, they're like, well, gosh, money is tight now. I'm going to sell some of this stuff. And so we saw in the last downturns that, we start getting product in like, you know, um, insane levels of product in. And what's also interesting is in resale, we don't have MSRPs. So we don't have like supply chain issues that other people have. There's never Mm -hmm. product that's backlogged or sitting on, you know, containers or otherwise limited. Um, But we do have, um, you know, this, we don't have an MSRP and really, you know, I, I appreciate StockX's, um, you know, narrative on the stock price of the item. And we're a little bit different because in the, you know, you can see the volatility when you, you know, at StockX, you can see this pair of sneakers and the price today is different than it was last week or six months ago or whatever. And you can see that price going up and down, you know, that for that particular style of sneakers. What's interesting in our world is it's a little bit different because a Birkin bag in new condition might have um you know that same t- level of like specificity on that that price for the day but once you carry that bag you know it, it's a it's different for a bag that has you know a pen mark on the outside or a lipstick stain on the inside or or it's just in very good condition but has actually been carried a lot so it's got a little more sag in the leather that price is so we kind of have more of a span you know like more of a range for a particular mm-hmm. style that can go, go up or down. But there's volatility in that pricing um, and it's always there to some degree. But when you go through a period of softness, what happens is if you've got somebody who's used to buying luxury products, they're just not going back to carry a mall brand. They're probably going to buy less um, and they're going to want to buy, you know, they're going to look for a deal. And that's another, like in resale, that's another thing that we offer. So um, we saw this in the last downturn that people will be more than willing to give up their, their products. And the reality is maybe while things were super hot, we're offering you a thousand dollars for that backpack. Cause we're going to sell it for 1300. Now we're only going to offer you 800 cause we're going to sell for 1100, but we have that benefit of that kind of, you know, um, lack of, we don't, we're still, you know, making the same margin, the same kind of gross profit. Um, but we do have to correct because right now as things are softening, like we've got things on the side that we bought three months ago that we're not, you know, when times were different. And so you do have to get through a period as, as you figure things out. But I will say that, um, during a recessionary people period, people turn to resale to sell and to buy. So are you, of, yeah, are you seeing any
0: kind of, yeah, you see any kind of interesting buying and selling patterns? Are you seeing more consigners that are. Also buying something on Fashion File, and conversely, more buyers consigning something to get that whole cycle going.
1: Yeah, I mean we we see this so clearly. Um, you know, this is something we see a lot of, um, and, and we see it in in a couple different ways. But we have um, one thing that you know people don't know about Fashion File unless you live by one of our distribution centers is that we actually have we've offered people who live locally to shop basically our back of house distribution center since we've you know since 2007 um, since we opened a physical location and so our first location in beverly hills and so what that means is what's interesting is people come in and um you know and we're like hey we've got all of our inventory here sure we're packing and shipping and authenticating and it's a distribution center it's a very lovely one I mean if you google you can see our images it you know it's a lovely location but we have a front of house like showroom where you're able to come in and basically instead of shopping normally if you go to any vintage shop or consignment shop even you know even a handbag specific store, they might have 200 bags. If they want it to look nice, maybe 250, you know, you can't have too many or just doesn't look luxury or whatever. So you might have 250 bags on the very, very high end. I've actually not really been to very many stores that have that many bags, but at Fashion Fowl, if you come into our, one of our showrooms, we have one in, in um, North County, San Diego, where our headquarters is and another in Chelsea, New York city, you can literally shop from like 30,000 items. So it's a, it's a, it's a mind blowing experience. So you walk in and say you're looking for a backpack. We have 900 on the site. So say we have 350 in Carlsbad. Then you're like, well, I'm looking for, um, I want a Gucci backpack. Okay, well now we have like, you know, 86. I'm looking for one that's actually leather, not canvas. Okay, now we've got, you know, 11. I want one that's, you know, can hold my computer. Okay, now we've got four. And then if you put those in your cart, and you're in our Wi Fi environment in our showroom, then you can, you can pull those items, you can request to see them. And soon we bring all four down, and then you can pick the one you want. That kind of like, ability to really like optionality and resale is so unique. Normally, like I love consignment stores. Like I said, I walk into my local consignment store, and they have like, actually 26 bags. Three of them are ultra luxury. One might not even be authentic because you know they're trying, but they you know they don't see enough volume to really get that nailed. Um, but that kind of optionality is crazy. So in our showrooms, we have a seventy-eight percent conversion rate for people who come in to buy an item who leave with a fashion file bag in their hand. What's also interesting is at that same showroom, we are, you're able to come in and make an appointment and say you you want to buy a backpack, but you're going to sell your old messenger bag. And so you bring in that messenger bag and we're like, okay, well, we'll give you a thousand dollars for it. We'll give you 10% more. If you put it onto fashion file store credit, you basically can leave with a free backpack and a few hundred bucks because the backpack was cheaper than the messenger bag. And so 60% of the time when people come in to sell to us, they actually leave with a bag, um, you know, in their hand, that kind of trading experience in those showrooms. And that's something you can also do online, but we find that it's so fascinating to see it in the in the showroom, you know, um, because it, it's just like you can see that circularity. The other thing that's interesting, like I said, we partnered with Neiman Marcus. We went out for a normal private equity fundraising route, our first one in two thousand, late two thousand eighteen, and end up with Neiman Marcus as yeah, our. Yeah, I
0: know that's amazing.
1: I mean, really, I I mean, I literally woke up the morning that that thing closed, and I I was just like you know, so. Yeah.
0: yeah. What is that partnership <laughs> well, all about? It's like, how does it benefit both parties?
1: Yeah. I mean, this is what I love. You know, I heard a long time ago, I need to one, I need to Google this because it's, <laughs> I, I can't remember who said it, but that good business is good for everyone. You know, if it's really good business, it's just good for everyone. It's, and what this partnership, you know, they came in, um, you know, and not just, I love it because we started that discussion with Neiman Marcus in 2018. And by the way, environment so different. It, I can't believe that was only, you know, f- four years ago or whatever, because the environment as far as resale is so different. Nobody was doing resale. Nobody was talking about resale. And the brands were still very prickly about resale. And Neiman Marcus came in and they didn't just like dip their toes in with a, you know, they could have done like, a, we could have done a little collaboration, but no, they like literally came in and invested in the business because their CEO and kind of their plan, they do believe in the full circularity. They believe that the products they sell are investments. And they did a study and they found that 78% of the people that they, um, you know, that shop at Neiman Marcus use, you know, sell their products when they're done with them, usually at mom and pop consignment stores, Um, which makes sense because if you buy seasonally, unless you're a hoarder, you've got to, get rid of some stuff occasionally. And like, well, how do you get rid of these things? And so, you know, really had this vision um, of, you know, how could we make this work? And so together, we came up with this, you know, we're now in 10, we have 10 Neiman Marcus, like shop and shop fashion file studios inside Neiman Marcus stores where you walk in and, and it's a fashion file team that's working the store. So if you walk into fashion Island, Neiman Marcus, you're going to go and we're usually tucked back somewhere hidden. We're like a, a you know, a speakeasy. <laughs> you have to know, <laughs> you have to know to know, because honestly we try to just lay low. Like we don't want to, you know, the brands are starting to all get comfortable with resale. And we just didn't want to, we, we just wanted to kind of not poke the bear and just, you know, sit back. And so we're, we're, um, you know, you'll find, you'll come to our, our location. You can drop off that messenger bag and then go shop shoes. And then you can get paid in Neiman Marcus, store credit. And again, when you talk about that circularity, this is something that's been happening. Meaning, you know, we did a a study a couple of years ago, uh, last year, actually on, you know, and then the question that, that, that kind of triggered it was when does a Chanel bag end up in a landfill? Cause I was like, it doesn't. So what is happening with the Chanel bag? Like that it would ever do that. And and, and the results of the study were just so interesting because it really is, a, it speaks a lot to how Neiman Marcus actually runs its business. Because what we found is that people, if you buy a luxury item, number one, you're more likely to take good care of it. Duh. Like, yeah, you know, like my mother is told, you know, it's like when you buy something nice, you take care of it. You spend a lot of money in it, on it. And so, and they're more likely to pay for professional repairs. And so, as you know, that's something that Neiman Marcus has done for like a hundred years. They're like, a, you know mending and repairs department or whatever um something that we you know really value at fashion files well and so and then it just people on average hold these items for 10 years plus and then they end up going to a, a child or a housekeeper or if they're gonna give it away or they go or they sell it um but that you know these really items have a very long life and the thing that's interesting to me is it's it's not even we found is it's not even the quality because a lot of people are like oh yeah these things are such good quality. They last that long. That's why they're, you know, that's why they don't end up in the landfill, but it's actually, and why they get repaired, but it's, it's actually the brand value because certain there's products that some of these brands make right now that are, I don't know. I love like Dana Thomas's book, Deluxe, how luxury lost its luster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> such a great book, but like the brands now are not, it used to be that luxury brands were like, oh, this is gilded with 24 karat gold and this is lined with the silk from the tibetan you know monks or whatever but no today like a luxury bag can be made out of cotton canvas it's like you know it's a cotton tote that's you know Balenciaga, and so you pay 1400 for it but if that cotton tote was from a mall brand and you break a strap you're probably gonna you know you bought it for 20 bucks you're probably gonna throw it away but if you paid $1,400 for that Balenciaga tote, you're getting it repaired, <laughs> you know, like I actually had a pen blow out in a, in a tote that I invested a lot. Of. I bought it on the secondary market, but I paid a lot of money for it. I had that thing died, you know, like you're just making it work because you put that money in it. It's, it's actually the brand value as well as the quality and all that, that like kind of demands that, you know, that care and that, um you know, everything that I have, I, 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 Most of what I buy is used when I buy it. And then it all goes back to, you know, someone else when I'm done.
0: So over the past few years, the prices of some designer handbags have increased exponentially. Luxury fashion houses such as Chanel and Louis Vuitton have increased prices for some of their signature bags. Chanel has increased the price of its handbags four times since the pandemic began in March 2020 and placing a limit on exactly how many bags a customer can purchase per year in its efforts to make it more exclusive. How have those pricing dynamics impacted the resale market for ultra luxury handbags?
1: I mean, definitely. You, it, it's really kind of in lockstep, meaning that that's what's so interesting. Um, you know, we, as we've been in business as long as we have, we know that this is a um, a pattern we've seen from the brands from day one. Meaning, every year that we've been in business. Um, Almost every single year, like by clockwork, the brands raise their prices, uh, you know, and on those iconic pieces, it's the same exact bag, the same construction, the same materials. And, and yet that price goes up, you know, um, every single year. What's interesting is recently that price has gone up, you know, like crazy. Like you said, like some of these are, you know, two, three, four times in a year that price has gone up. Um, and really over time, when you ask, when you hear what the brands, as they report, like why they're doing these price increases, they always say, and, you know, because of inflation and kind of balancing out, you know, international pricing disparities and things like that. And so, um, you know, but it's something that we've seen over time. And what that does on the secondary market is we sell a bag, you know, there's lots of factors that come into the pricing model that we use of what, what's the market price for that bag today. And one of those really key elements is, you know we only sell a bag for a percentage of whatever it sold you know you know it sells the retail price um you know in you know in retail whatever it sells for especially like on sale like chanel bags hermes most louis you know louis vuitton they don't go on discount ever goyard there's no sales there's no there's no outlet stores there's no clearance or promotions so um you know if you sell if you bought a bag a few years ago that's a current style today and that the the price of that resale price, of that bag is just going up in lockstep with, you know, with the, the full retail price. If a brand um, uses outlet stores, because some of the brands we sell do sell in outlet stores, they have promotions and sales and brands need to be, luxury brands are very careful about that. They try to be careful because really the more that you discount, then the resale price is, is real, is a percentage of whatever it's sold at a, retail and if a retail it sold at a at an outlet store and it retailed for 1400 but by the time it sold at the outlet it was 300 we're only going to sell for a fraction of that i always say you can always tell the value of the brand by how powerful the resale market is and if i was a if i was a brand you know an accessible brand or a luxury brand i would really look at that because if your brand's not selling well in the resale market it says something about your brand
0: and research is showing that Gen Z is the demographic with the largest buyer and consigner growth for luxury resale. Are you seeing the same type of pattern with fashion file?
1: Yeah, we do see that pattern with Gen Z. It's so interesting because, you know, really the younger consumer, it's they are they are tastemakers. And it and a lot of people say to say, you know, oh. You know, because we'll see. We have lots of. We've been doing this for so long. It's fun to see the, like the the rise, the kind of the ebb and flow of some of these styles and brands as they become popular and then they you know lose popularity. And people say, oh yeah, you know, these celebrities they really like can make or break a style, and and sometimes that's true. But we're, what we're finding right now that's really fascinating is just cool young folks, you know, on TikTok. <laughs> with a few hundred followers that have a an a, an interesting style and then honestly sometimes they just don't have the resources to buy a you know a super expensive bag so they'll be they'll be digging around and find some cool like old bag on our site that's a 20 30 year old style and they'll carry it and other people will follow them on tiktok like that is so cool and oh my gosh you only got that for $350 i'm going to get one and then all of a sudden those things are selling out. We can't keep them on the shelves that they're literally flying off the site. Um, you know, we're raising our prices. So we're paying you more for that particular style because they're selling so quickly that price goes up in very short order. You know, in a few months, the pricing go up like crazy. All of a sudden the brand takes a look and it's like, oh my gosh, people are going nuts on resale with this style. We're going to reissue it. And then they come up with a brand new version of that vintage style that's like significantly higher which raises the entire brand up. So it's really fascinating I think that like cuz we always joke you know we got into TikTok pretty early where people are going why would you get into TikTok like it's a bunch of 13 year olds like that makes no sense. But honestly there's it's it's unbelievable the impact Um, you know, that really these younger consumers are having. And, and really, you know, like I said, there's some tastemakers on there and it's not even necessarily a big star with a massive following. Sometimes it's smaller players, these micro influencers with the, with the following that start trends. It's just, it's really interesting to see.
0: Are you finding different age groups engaging with the resale model differently?
1: Um, absolutely. Like I said, because we have such a span of, you know, of price point that there's, there's different entry points that make sense. One thing that we've found, you know, um, when, you know, I, I, I think it's interesting that back when I was in high school, I'm 50. And when I was in high school, kind of, I would joke that the, the gateway drug into luxury was like coach coach Mm -hmm. gateway drug it's like you 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 know you buy a coach bag and it's like oh my gosh you care about you want to buy something you're trading up want to buy something nice and you you enjoy the quality and then you're kind of in that group where people comment and like oh i love your bag and you're like oh this feels good and then by the way that's like that's a slippery slope that gateway drug you get getting into more hardcore drugs and then you're going to louis vuitton and you're gonna start with a and then you go up to a chanel and hermes and we've been in this so long, we just take people along that journey. And so we found that people enter in a small, you know, and into a lower price point. And then, you know, they're got, don't have much of a disposable income, but they want to buy something authentic and they love the brands. They love the story and history and all that. And then, you know, we're with them long enough that then they get a job and they, you know, graduate from college and they've got more money to spend and they start, you know, and kind of walk along that path. Um, But we have some interesting groups it's fascinating for us because we sell you know we've got a, a our one of, one of our biggest our fastest growing categories is the fine watch category and 85 percent of our watch buyers only buy watches you know, like mm. they're not you know they're not shopping handbags or shoes or belts and you know try as we might <laughs> to lure them in their watch people um and so it's interesting we've got people you know in our world people are very brand loyal you know there's people you know it's, it's like if you're a Chanel person, they're just buying a lot of Chanel. It's interesting. Um, we find that, that people in our category, um, you know, can get very specific and brand loyal. And it's one of the reasons why we've really cared about our brand. We, we cater to people who love brands. And we've always thought if we can, if we can really invest in and, and care about our own brand and what that represents, the trust and the, you know, the kind of ultra luxury experience across every touch point people will be loyal to our brand too, you know? And so we found that to be helpful.
0: You know, the resale market is sometimes accused of diluting luxury brands image of scarcity and exclusivity. The Birkin bag, for example, used to be extremely exclusive and now it can be purchased on a luxury resale platform. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I feel like what, um, you know, the the highest honor for any luxury brand is really that your product is selling really hot on the resale market and i mean chanel is one of the reasons they've had to raise their price so many times in the last year is that their products are just selling so hot like we've never had in the 20 something years we've we've been in business we haven't had consistent styles across the board of Chanel products that are selling at higher than retail in really, really great condition. We do now, you know, probably 10, 15% of what we sell in these categories, they're selling, you know, it sells. And so then the brand is able to, at that point, justify raising their price because you don't want to, you know, they, and that's what Hermes has been able to do. And I think the brands really, um, there's kind of a love, hate, and gentle push and pull in resale. Um, Like I said, if your brand isn't selling well in the resale market, your brand is in trouble. Um, And so I think the brands, while they're, you know, they do care about there is a delicate supply um, demand balance there, and they want to be careful about that. Um, They need us too. Um, You know, you're not, if you, if you're going to spend, $12,000, 13, you know, on a new Hermes Birkin, if there's no less people would do that, if there wasn't a way to resell it at close to what they bought it for, if resale was because there's, there are, there are brands actually that you can spend a lot of money on and there's no resale and they just don't grow those brands.
0: Many are hoping that the industry standard for every luxury brand is to have its own resale channel. And from a consumer perspective, it becomes a normal part of the shopping in much the same way as e-commerce. And multi brand players will probably be a factor too. So, if that's the direction it ends up going, how do you see fashion file evolving?
1: Well, um, you know, I 100% think that's the way that I think in five years, you'll have very few luxury brands that aren't participating in resale, I would say. I mean, there, I could name a couple that I think probably still won't be there, but m- most will, um, you know. But the the reality is, if you walk into any mall in America, most of the stores, as you look around, are participating in resale right now. You know, think of the Patagonias and the Lululemons and the Levi's and J Crew, Madewell—all of your favorite brands—they all are participating in resale. None of them, not one of them, is doing it themselves. Meaning, all of them have—and what the thread up coined the term "resale as a service." Um, you know, and ThreadUp helps a lot of these brands. Trove helps some of these brands. But in the luxury world, we've got challenges that the traditional um, RAS service cannot satisfy. Number one is being able to accurately identify with specificity the, the what we're looking at um, and what that style is called, the, the textile, the hardware, all those things. You have to identify with specificity because... And know the value um, attached to that particular style in that condition. Um, and, you know, maybe today gold hardware isn't selling as well as silver or, or that the grand shopping tote in the XL, you know, in the standard size is does this well, but then the extra large is $200 more. We need to nail that because we need to give you the accurate price for that. So you have to build identify it with specificity so you can accurately price it. And then you have to be, able to be able to authenticate it. And brands, what we do is it's it's a lot of work on the back end. Like I said, there's you know it's a lot of handling of product and storage and really a lot of operations in that whole identification, pricing, and and authentication part of the process. That I think the brands will definitely want to participate, but they're not going to do it alone. You know they're going to get a partner to help them, and we we're here for it. We're we're the resale partner for um, for Neiman Marcus. And, you know, um, we've, we've got other relationships. We're an NDA with a couple other brands. Um, you know, we handle the, um, Farfetch Second Life, um, you know, back the white label, that program. And so these are things that, you know, as brands enter the market, we want to be helpful and we want to be able to help them to make, to make that an easy experience. I will say, as you know, in the luxury world, many of the brands we sell don't sell online at all. Right. Um, some of them, Louis Vuitton's been online since like 2007. They were really early with e-luxury, kind of getting online. However, they have a very limited offering online. Again, keeping that supply and demand balance. Um, you know that luxury experience. Most of the brands we sell do not sell their full line on you know full line online, and also. Have many of their hotter products never available online, so um, the the you know I I'm very skeptical that we will ever see you know like I love I've got three daughters and I only buy them use Lululemon so <laughs> that's, that's cheap I am, but I love Lululemon has their own resale site you know and I love to you know and so um, you can buy that it's right alongside of the um, of the Lululemon site. You know, you can shop new and used at, at like You can buy used or at lululemon.com. You can buy new. Um, I don't see a world where, um, the brands have a full line of resale up on, you know, I just don't see that happening. I definitely see. And I think it would be really amazing for most of these brands to have a highly curated selection of really special vintage pieces from, you know, like, you know tom ford era gucci gucci's done some of this with their gucci vault mostly in europe but um you know special pieces and you know not not because right now a lot of what we have are bags that are just in excellent condition but it's uh, currently available on the on the gucci website the same style like you're not going to see that you know that's where other resale sites do have that in the real world you can buy you know, I can buy a line leggings on Lululemon's used site or the new site, the same leggings, exactly in excellent condition. So I think the brands will be very careful about that. And they may have a curated little assortment, but they're not going to want to have the 1990s, some of these monogram pieces or whatever that the brands are really amazing now with great, um, you know, creative direction and designers that are just innovative and Really thoughtful, and you know, they're, every brand has gone through a tough period in the '90s or early 2000s where products potentially are licensed or just not. You know, the brands maybe don't love some of those products. It's not that the whole lines aren't going online. So, um, at File we have you know we have a we have an answer to that. We can sell it at fashionfile.com, and if there's truly special pieces, they could go on the they could be hosted on the brand's website. So. But I think most brands will eventually, there's no car company who's like, I'm not gonna participate in resale of my cars. I mean, it just makes no sense. Makes no sense, yeah.
0: So you just opened a 60,000 square foot authentication center and showroom here in Chelsea, in New York City. Take us inside that.
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I am like, I couldn't be more excited. Number one, I feel like, you know, fashion, we've, you know, in New York City, really it's where we should be like we've got one thing about being online for as long as we have is we have really good data about where where our customers are and we have so many um you know really highly engaged customers selling and buying in new york city um and in that whole metro area um we have had a store this there um on madison since 2018 and just couldn't keep up with the you know the interest um so we have we've had our our authentication center in North County, San Diego since 2012. And like I said, it's like a little machine where people love to come and engage. You can buy from our entire inventory and, and sell, but people, what we found is that like, there's something special about our headquarters that, that was like, that people really, it was just more than just a store that was selling a lot or that we were being you know our acquisition tool. and we're like we're trying to unpack like what's special about this? Like we're gonna open this place in New York City. Um, and we really we really wanted to bring it right into the city kind of like how you know fashion merchandising and operations used to be in the city in the garment district and like throughout you know in this it was now people kind of tend to move out into the suburbs or New Jersey for that. We're like, let's bring it into the city, our full operations. Um, So we can have this beautiful showroom. And we tried to, we tried to unpack what was special about what people were loving about our headquarters and, and really kind of double down in those areas in Chelsea. And one of those things are, if you came to, if you came to our headquarters in Carlsbad, I would take you on a tour and your mind would literally be blown. And I couldn't, I couldn't oversell that you were, I try, I oversell it. I don't hide it. And you're still shocked because you've never seen the volume of the product we sell, or you know, going, you know, conveyor belts of these types of things, you know, the whole experience is just really unique and special. And we said, how can we do that in the city where the customers can actually, you know, have a glimpse that's not that's not a security risk. And so we laid out our operations in a way that we can get you a glimpse into the back of the house. So when you walk into Um, our location in Chelsea, we have a little reception area there. And then we've got to the left there, we've got like eight um, procurement offices where those are offices where if you're just coming to to sell some stuff, we've got a full team there. So you could sell that messenger bag or backpack or whatever and get paid. Takes us about 15, 20 minutes an item. But what's interesting is then you walk down the hall um, as you're waiting for your item to get quoted. And You're literally walking alongside our inventory cage. And so we've allowed like glimpses in. So when you walk by, you can see our inventory. We don't, it's not like curated. It's not like, oh, we're merchandising this thing for a showroom floor. It's just the way that we store our inventory. We have a, you know, we only sell the cream of the crops. We have a pretty, you know, quick turn. And so, Every when you come in, the product is different every time. And you've got these glimpses. You're walking, you're looking into, and it's high security. There's a literally a cage that you're you're looking into, but you're looking at our inventory racks, like literally our back of house. Um, and then you, you know, you look at like four of those glimpses and you walk into a beautiful showroom and we've got product on display, but in between the product that's on display, you can look and take a peek into our watch our shipping team our as they package your pack your packages. And like I said, we've cared about that. We've cared about that unboxing experience since before um, unboxing is a word since our eBay days in 2001 you know, and two as we're yeah. like, and so and so you've had that you've gotten a fashion fall box at home and you and you know what comes into it and so you're like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. I'm watching the team like packaging these back these packages, you can see the care that they put into that. And you can, you know again, like take a little glimpse. and then you can walk down and you can see a glimpse into our photography studio. And watching as they're photographing Rolexes and Birkins and Kellys, and it's fascinating. And so, why hide that? Our customers love it. When We, if you look at our like social media and our our um, blog and things like that, what we really lean into is the fact that our customers love this product. They love learning about it. Like whenever we bring up Fashion File University, people are like, "I want to go." Like, how do I get a <laughs> degree? You know, we're like, okay not everybody can go, but like, can we give you a glimpse into how this works? And so then if you keep walking, you can see a glimpse into our authentication station. You're literally watching our team as watching them use the tools. And as they investigate and, you know, research all these products, as they're like inspecting every single item, you're watching them work. And so, you know, and again, and so then you're in this showroom where, like I said, you can then use these iPads and you can pull any item got like 30,000 items there in Chelsea. You can pull any item from the back. You can, you know, you can shop the iPad and just say, Oh, you can shop by what's available in Chelsea and pull anything you anything out that you want. And so, like I said, that that's why, I mean, you cover retail, you know how this works, like a 78% conversion rate is just crazy it's unbelievable um you know but people have been shopping they know they're coming in and they've been shopping online and they're request they're, they're looking at things that are available in Chelsea they're putting them in their cart then when they roll in like i said in our Wi Fi environment they're able to to select those items and have them pulled there's a a carousel there it's a um it's a mini like conveyor belt you know carousel that's bringing the products from the back into the front um and so you can see these items coming around the carousel it's really fascinating
0: so you started fashion file to help pay off law school loans. How has founding fashion file changed your views on sustainability?
1: Yeah. You know, um, my aunt, she's a, she's a, um, an artist and, a uh, she's worked for all of like, I've always idolized her. She worked for like Hasbro Mattel did like my little pony and <laughs> pocket and all, you know, it's a little, I always loved her artistry. And so I had her design a logo for us in like 2008. Or something like that and it was this woman she's like carefree and she's got she's swinging a um a kelly actually in her hands and it's got the recycle logo around it and it and the tagline was fashion file saving the earth one fabulous bag at a time and it was it was like a little joke um and it was really interesting because at the time we did a study you know to say why are people shopping resale why are you shopping from fashion file and like honestly one of the things we wanted to find out is people are just shipping things to us like why do you trust us? Like, why are you turning to us? Like we wanted to really get an understanding around it. But the thing we found that was so fascinating is that I thought that people cared about the circularity, that idea that, you know, that you're, you know, that you're kind of extending the life of these products. And we did that study, you know, like 10, 12, 13, 14, whatever years ago. It sustainability wasn't in the top 10 reasons why people were shopping from fashion file nobody actually cared about that and and that is what that is like actually so interesting because people care so much now it's legitimately what like i said a tailwind that we're seeing um not only do people care who are shopping and selling you know um with us but also our team like i meet all these new team members they come and they take a job with fashion file And we're like, hey, you know, what brought you here? And they're like, we believe in this. We believe in in sustainability. We believe in extending the life of these products. And this is kind of, this is the way that we live, you know? And so it's cool because I feel like there's nothing new about resale. I mean, like I was, you know, I said, I'm old. I mean, I'm 50. I've been doing resale since I was little in the the old, you know, using the old brick and mortar ways. But like my grandparents did resale. This is nothing new about resale. What's new is scaling it and bringing technology in, you know, and really kind of making it accessible for everyone. If you, I mean, like if you live in LA or New York city, you've got some really amazing, cool vintage shops and you've got the ability to get some really, you know, great deals on designers that are just iconic and that you love and getting deals on those things. But if you live in middle America or the South, you don't, number one, there's no luxury brands there at all and you're not getting that experience in the resale market. And so I just love that we're kind of making it accessible, not only at a price point, but also just really distributing it, letting people who are interested in buying these types of things have access wherever you are.
0: So Sarah, the final question is the luxury item question, which I ask all my guests. So if you were stranded on a deserted island and you can only have one luxury item with you, what would that luxury item be It can't be any form of air transportation to get you off that island, (laughs) water transportation, or anything that requires mobile service. So you can call somebody to get you off that island. What would that one luxury item be that you would like to have with you on that deserted island?
1: Um, Maybe. um, So I I, I was thinking about this because I'm like, what is something that could be luxury and yet would also be, um, you know, something would be perfect for that island experience and I was thinking that Louis Vuitton did a speaker (laughs) the horizon speaker and I'm like you know what like I think the island would be you know it could be enjoyable and I could you know I've been watching the alone series like maybe I can make that work as far as like being able to get the things I need the resources but like I would love to be able to still like um, you know, listen to podcasts like this one, and listen to music. And so, I'm going to take the Louis of the speaker. It's called the Horizon speaker. It's very cool. I think I'm going to take that speaker with me.
0: Sarah Davis, founder and president of Fashion File. Thank you so much for joining me on the Luxury Item. It was a great conversation.
1: Such a great conversation. I appreciate you having me.
0: That's it for this episode of the Luxury Item podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this useful and entertaining, I would be really grateful if you can share it with a friend or colleague. I would love it if you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other listeners find us. The Luxury Item Podcast is a production of Silvertone Consulting. I'm your host, Scott Kerr. Until next time.